You are listening to Wyoming Park Bible Fellowship's midweek podcast, which will be discussing last Sunday's sermon, The Lord Will Provide, from the story of Abraham and Isaac. This week was our first time that our BFG group was able to meet in person in the sanctuary. So instead of our usual one-on-one conversation between me and Pastor John, this week's podcast will be a recording of our live BFG discussion. Um, that was taken, that was recorded on Sunday, May 2nd at 11 a.m. I hope that if you weren't able to join us on Sunday, this will help you feel part of the group. And I'm going to turn it over now to that recording that was made on Sunday. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to discuss your word. Help us to apply it to our hearts and, uh, and give glory to Jesus about whom it's all written. In his name we pray. Amen. So just as my first question, what jumped out at you and you heard this story as if you had not heard it before? What jumped out to you in a way different than maybe you've heard it before? Anything? Anybody have something that just in this story? Just raise your hand and we'll pass you a mic. What spoke to me was that Isaac voluntarily um, laid on that altar. And I was just reading this morning in John 10, where Jesus said, I give up my life. I give it up on my own accord. Yeah. Yeah, Isaac's willingness is really quite remarkable. He must have been. There's no record of him having to be tricked or chased. You know, he, um, Abraham bound him, but he let his dad tie him up. Any other things that just kind of stuck out as? Uh, yes, a ram in the thicket. I was thinking that it was a lamb in the thicket. So that was a new thought to me. Oh, yeah, I had always kind of wondered about that too. Usually it's a lamb that's a sacrifice, or, but they do sacrifice older animals in, in Leviticus and stuff also. But it helped me a lot to realize that a ram is just a grown-up lamb. It's the same species. And, uh, and that was, I, one commentator I read thought it was uh, intriguing that, you know, typically the lamb was offered in Passover because it could be without defect and young and innocent and less likely to have hurt itself. And, and for Jesus to be offered as a lamb as an adult demonstrates that he was righteous for a long time, for his whole life, not just a, a, a newborn kind of thing. So, Any other parts of the story that kind of struck you as fresh or new, something you hadn't heard? Doug? Reading the Bible, sometimes time goes past so fast you can read a a paragraph and days have gone by and to to realize that Abraham was traveling for you know three days knowing what was coming like you said he knew what a burnt sacrifice was the blood involved and knowing that Jesus knew what was coming you know the the days of anticipation yeah. um, Sometimes you forget that you know he, that he that he traveled and he and he knew what was coming. Yeah, 
Yeah, I would imagine that Abraham was sleep deprived, right? I mean, he probably laid awake a lot those days. And, um, and I wonder if you've been dreading something and hoping for a release or an escape, every little thing, you know, did every time something surprised him along the way, did he say, oh, is this God stopping me now? Or is it, you know, I wonder how many times he was anxious. The text doesn't tell us exactly. We're just trying to, we're just trying to figure it out ourselves, right? What we would be in that spot. Pretty amazing. Any other thoughts about the story? Jim Walker. And Phil, hang on, Phil. We'll give you the mic, and then we'll get you. Phil. Yeah, but... I, uh, I was, you know, the, the, the parallel is what got me is the, the, to the, the resurrection, to the, and the, 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 the two stories were just like a prelude. One was a prelude to the other one. And it just that's what really surprised me. It really got me. The other thing that I think that showed Abraham's faith, on the third day he looked up, saw the place in the distance, and he had said to the servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back. It didn't say, I'll come back. It says, yeah. we will come back. Yeah. yeah, the Hebrews writer jumps on that and says he must have expected that God was going to raise him from the dead somehow, which you wonder, that that's the only explanation Abraham could have come up with, but it's not like... Uh, raising from the dead was a real popular thing, right? It, it didn't happen all the time, like never yet in history. And so, any other thoughts just about the story as an initial impression? Mike? The one thing that um, I guess I realized was the three days that he was traveling. Of course, his son hadn't died yet, but he was anticipating the death of his son for three days, and then the, the redemption came uh, when the ram was provided for him. In a lot of ways, the, uh, the use of the three days is a pattern that we see in uh, you know, Jonah and the whale and Jesus in the belly of the earth. And so that would be something you could pick up on for sure too. Good. Okay, well, the next question I have for us is what, um, what does this story tell you about the person of Jesus? You know, I tried to explain that, but... What, what do you learn? What do we, if you were a visitor here today and you had never ever heard any of this before, what might be some things that you would say is, I didn't know Jesus was like that. What does it tell you about Jesus? What does the story tell you about him in particular? John. Well, I think it, I would think that it's the, uh, his willingness to be sacrificed. That would be one thing that could be easily picked, should be picked up on. The fact that Jesus was not obligated by some external, he wasn't pressured, that he willingly complied is something that comes out in the story. Yeah, Isaac's passive obedience is pretty amazing. Someone else? When I run out of stuff to say, usually Becky says something. So. <laughs> I haven't listened to the sermon yet. Oh, you haven't listened to the sermon yet. 
Sure. I recently, I recently um, taught this story to the kids, and we talked about how the ram took Isaac's place. And then on the craft, I had them draw a picture of themselves and have Jesus take their place. And um, to me, I had never really focused so much on the fact of that is my cross, that is my fate, if it weren't for Jesus. So the reality of how much we lost and then how much Jesus did and how we have so little to contribute to the to the transaction. We are just, you know, Isaac was laying on that on the wood and then the lamb took his place. He didn't earn it. He didn't find the lamb. He didn't ask the lamb to take the place. It was just all out of his hands. And so just a, just a reminder of the um the beautiful theology of election in that um the gospel is we lost it all and Jesus did it all. One of the things that's a little bit hard to recognize in the story is how um, we need to understand that we, as Isaac in the story, actually deserve to be um, punished or burnt as a sacrifice. Uh, not that our, us dying would be somehow meritorious for someone else, so we're not a substitute sacrifice. But the point is, is that if God had not intervened and had Abraham stop, the punishment of death that was hanging over Isaac would have actually been just, right? That's the hard part for, because sometimes we see ourselves as, oh, we're just an innocent little boy like Isaac. We've never done anything wrong. We don't need to be um, punished that way. And so the story kind of hides that part but not if you've been reading the rest of the book so far, right? All of the people under the flood, all of the things that happen in Sodom and Gomorrah. The, the point is, is that it's the sin that brings about this judgment. And so even though in the storyline, Isaac seems to be innocent of having done anything wrong, in the big storyline, we did lose it all. And that is us laying on the edge of hell and we deserve to die And the... Um, the substitute takes our place because we deserved it to be punished, right? We deserve death. The wages of sin is death. So that that's there. It gets filled in by the rest of our understanding of scripture, right? Becky? I was actually I was actually kind of worried about telling the story to the kids for that reason. But uh, Jesus or God doesn't apologize when he tells Abraham to do it. He's not embarrassed of the test and, the, and how, what it looks like. And children, it's just an example of how we are need, we need to come to the Bible like children do and just accept what God has said, you know, that it, if, if he did have Abraham uh, follow through with the sacrifice, he would be just and we would have, we couldn't shake our fist at him that he's unfair. And um, so it's, it's, it's one of those things that it's not a very uh, politically correct story to tell, but also that's good because it humbles us and it makes us approach 
the Bible like we should, like little children who accept what God says. God is not embarrassed of his own self and his own person. Any other thoughts about how we see Jesus and or what what does this story tell us about Jesus himself? Trish. Yeah, it reminds me of the scripture in John that says, no greater love than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends, and Jesus did that for us. And so it tells us that he has the greatest love of all. It, it is a passive ram in the thicket alone. It's a willing sacrifice that Jesus offers himself. And he does, and he said, this is how I, you know, I'm telling you, I'm laying my life down for you as my friends. So he can certainly relate and certainly love us. Good. I think it's Renee. one thing to say you love someone, but when you show someone to that depth, to that degree that you love them, I think that says so much more. Um, the whole story blows my mind. Um, every time, the, more, the older I get, the older we get, the more you read the Bible, the more it becomes more and more real to an everyday life, everyday living that Jesus did and, and Jesus calls us to live like that. You think about what Abraham was going through. You think about what he was going through. Think about all the things he thought about and think about you as a parent. Think about us as parents, what we would go through and to look, at, to look in the eyes of your child. Uh, I, I don't even know how you can comprehend any of that, but then to, to realize that God did this to Jesus, his own son. I'm looking at you the same way. I you know, That's just so powerful, and it changes your life, the depth of his love for us. And that's what he calls us to love each other that same way and to love him back that same way. Amen. It's incomprehensible. <clears throat> really, it is, too. How could we possibly, you know, Abraham raised his hand. He, how many times had he tried to not picture what was going to happen next in his mind and knowing what it would be like? And, and um, what could ever motivate a person to do that level of sacrifice? What could ever, what rule, what reward system what could ever make you do that? And it's beyond comprehension. But um, except that Abraham loved God. And God says to him, I, now I know that you really, you really got who I am. Because you did not spare your own son. What could motivate God to do that? And we have to, we have to understand that if, you know, um, analogically, our experience of loving a son and the sacrifice is at level 10. When God the infinite with all of his perfect perfection and holiness does it, it's leveled up, right? It's level 1,000 or level 10 million. And so what would ever motivate God to follow through and do that and not spare his son? What, would, what, what could possibly motivate? Is it obligation? No. It's just straight up the love of God in Christ Jesus. What can separate us from that? Once you've got that, yeah, what, could you, what could ever be a greater treasure? John, you had your hand up. Oh, Marie, I'm sorry. 
Yes. Um, I think that's right. I think it was, it is just really the plain picture that God so loved the world. But I was thinking another thing that with um, Abraham, um, he really did believe God. Um, he, um, you know, he didn't say anything to Sarah, um, you know, why I'm going. And um, um, he just thought this is what God said. And I trust him. I think it's just a wonderful example to all of us all through the years of what real faith is. And pray that we would have more of it. <clears throat> yeah, Abraham's faith is a challenging example for us. And uh, until I had studied for this message, I didn't realize how many times the New Testament makes reference to this story. Um, a couple, you know, I, I just sort of blended all of the promises to Abraham in to one when I'd read about them in the New Testament. But the New Testament talks about this episode more particularly in a number of places. But one of the places, interestingly, is in the book of James, where James says, okay, you say you have faith, but there's a no works by it? Uh-uh. And so, so James calls us out and says, unless your faith manifests itself with works, you don't have faith. Even the demons believe, he argues. They, they shudder. They believe, but that isn't salvation. He says, you want to show me your faith without works? You show me what Abraham did. See what Abraham did. And, and then he goes on and says, his works combined with his faith to prove that his heart was different. And so we know that God was, that Abraham was declared righteous in God's eyes before this happened. That's what Paul argues real strongly in Romans 4. But James would say, when that happens, it changes you too. And you cannot not manifest it in your life with changed works. So you, there is no such thing as a person who has accepted the love of God in Christ Jesus that way who still looks the same. It just doesn't compute. It just doesn't compute. It, you, the only way it could be true is if it's all pretend anyway. If Jesus' blood doesn't really matter. But if it does, it changes your heart. It changes, the treasure gets switched. We still stumble, we still fall, but we hate our own sin now, right? It changes our, and um, there's radical, a radical change in your value system. So, you know, James would say, faith without works is dead because there's no faith underneath it. There's no, it didn't change your life. So, good. Any other thoughts, Sue? Uh. This is on a little different note, but I was thinking um, he heard God's voice personally. And I think that the, um, as you grow, when you hear, when you um, experience God in a real personal way, and he heard God's voice telling him to do this. And um, it gives you power to obey. Yeah. The, the fact that Abraham, I think what you're saying, Sue, is Abraham had direct personal experience of God in his life. And so he knew him not just as the guy um, behind the book, 
not just out there, but he knew him in here too, right? So Abraham had faith and fellowship with God. He talked to God. Um, remember God visited him before Sodom and Gomorrah and he promised a year from now Isaac will be born. And so he had experiences with God that were real and personal. And that's, that's part of the relationship. And if, if, uh, if the gospel for you and I was only that it's objectively true out there, look at Jesus, he rose from the dead, isn't that awesome? That's the best system of philosophy to follow. It's the best religion it would still be a great and glorious thing, amen? That, that it's objectively, perfectly the gospel. But God does more than that. He actually gives you a subjective experience of himself. His spirit comes into our lives and bears witness with our spirit so that we know in our heart of hearts that we're God's children. That's what Romans 8 says. So we get more than just this external book that we can read. We have an internal affirmation of God's person in our lives. I know him as a friend, not just as a character in the Bible. You follow what I'm trying to say? There's a personal apprehension. And that is a wonderful assurance. It's a, um, I like the way um, Tim Keller says it, and I'm sure he's not the one who originated it, but he said that there should be a a periodic, or a, uh, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but a frequent, or a, an occasional, I think that there should, every believer has an occasional experience of God. In other words, we know what it's like, we have special closeness, we, we feel his uh, love more closely. When we say we hear his voice, I'm not sure I would agree with audibly, but I'm not to argue with somebody else, but it's not a necessary component. We hear his word because it's completed so we can read it every day without limit. And so, but the point is, is it, it, it is occasional. It's not all the time. Abraham had years and years without a single revelation from God, it appears, right? God promised him in Genesis 12, I'm gonna make you a great nation. And 20 years go by. It gets so bad that they get desperate and do the whole Hagar thing right? Because there's, there's no word from God. So that doesn't mean that God is any less faithful during those times. And so as believers, we have the subjective experience of God in our lives that we know it's true. But when we have a day that seems cold or when the ceiling seems to be so thick that we can't even hear God or see God, right? When our subjective experience dries up temporarily, the psalmist says, hey, I'm it's like a dry and thirsty land. My soul longs for you. you know, that's, a, that's a typical Christian experience. And we ought not to take a fearful alarm that, oh no, God's not real anymore. No, no, he's sufficient already, even when it seems distant. So we love and appreciate the occasional, but don't let the enemy say, hey, you haven't had any of those experiences for a couple of days. Are you sure that that's true? Are you sure you belong to Are you sure God loves you? You see, when the enemy wants to take your experience or lack thereof and argue against the re- truth of it. And it's, that's a lie, right? We, so our experience confirms the reality of God, but it's not a necessary component all the time. Sometimes it's going to scrape in the sores and say, God, where are you? Or David, who says it many times, where are you? Where are you? That's an okay thing, 
All right? That doesn't mean God left you. It means that he's, maybe he's testing us, right? That's one of the cool things about the test. Look at what Abraham learns about himself. What did Abraham learn about himself? That he loved God that much. Isn't it amazing that God confirms his power in our lives by our own obedience sometimes? How do I know I'm a believer? Because I obey things that there's no way I would obey that on my own. <laughs> so anyway, I thought I saw Taryn's hand up a minute. Just, who has the mic over here? Um, <laughs> I just was rereading a book from Timothy Keller called Encounters with Jesus. And it talks about how the baptism and then the temptation just follow immediately after each other where God says, you know, this is my son with whom I well pleased, that I love and with whom I well pleased. Then he was taken into the desert and tempted by Satan for 40 days with every kind of imaginable temptation and thirst and, and starvation and so forth. And the point that Timothy Keller was trying to make is that you know, there is evil in this world. You know, there is a demonic realm in that, um, you know, when we are walking with the Lord, we are an even greater temptation and target for, you know, for evil things to happen to us. And because of what I've been walking through recently with this myeloma diagnosis, um, I was feeling a little sorry for myself, but then he just reminded me that, hey, you know, um, Jesus was perfect and he was not... Um, he did, you know, uh, he was tempted and he yeah. was persecuted. And why would we expect anything less? That that we would also walk through that. Yeah, Jesus. On a, after what you would have to imagine is one of the most spiritual highs of his life, right? Having uh, heard Jesus, God's own voice from heaven, say, "I love you. My, you're my son," and then to have that he was not exempt from the subsequent desert experience where the saint says, if you're the son, are you really the son? If you're the son, do this, prove this, prove that. And it seemed, you know, pretty quiet. It's pretty scary. And um, finally, the angels do come and minister to Jesus. So God is faithful. But man, you're, you're on the edge of your seat. Hold, hold on, Jesus, hold on. Don't let your subjective experience define your reality. And he doesn't, right? I would trust God no matter what. Man does not live by bread alone. And so he, he was able to, the foundation of God's word was there. Like you said, Sue, God's voice, God's word was in Abraham's life, even in the desert experience of those three days walking. Yeah, good. Any other thoughts about that part? Or My last question was, what does the story tell us about the father? What is this, anything new or um, important that we should emphasize. What does this story tell us about God the Father? Sue Walker. What always sticks out to me in this passage is Abraham saying, God will provide the sacrifice. I wondered about that too. Is it seems like it's such a powerful statement. God himself will provide or God will provide. 
And from the, it even says from that time on, that place was called, the Lord will provide, Yahweh will provide. It just seems to me like that ought to be the banner over your whole life, all the time, <laughs> you know? And, it, and the phrase just almost kind of disappears from the biblical narrative. You don't ever, it's not like, it seems like Samuel would have said, remember, God will provide, or David will say, remember. But, you know, then you start thinking, it does, it pervades, it's a base foundation. But uh, every time you and I experience difficulty or every time we're thrilled by the love of Jesus, that phrase that God will provide is, that is the gospel, right? That is the gospel. God will provide. I don't save myself, Jesus saves. And so that is, yeah, if, if, you, if you want a Jesus saves bumper sticker, you could say God will provide. And I think it's even the structure of the senses, God will provide himself, himself, he's the provision, not just the, not just the ram, but he, and obviously the Lord Jesus being that he, right? So that's a good phrase. It's such a good message, we're just gonna redo it over and over. <laughs> There could be worse things to do, amen? You see, the point is that the song says, like those who know it best keep thirsting like the rest, right? I love to hear the story. And the gospel message is the means through which not just how we enter into the relationship with God, but it's the means through which we live right now. It's, it's the means through which we, um, we take up our cross every day and obey God. And so God's, Gospel is what believers use and need to live all the time. Okay? So anyone with a final comment? And then um, whoever gets stuck with the mic last gets to close in prayer. So that, that just suppressed the passing of the mic. Sue, would you close in prayer for us? Our Heavenly Father, we are so overwhelmed by your provision for our salvation. And we just thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf on Calvary. And we, um, it's a debt that we can never repay except to give ourselves to you in full obedience. And we just pray that you go with us in this coming week. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about our church, in-person services, and online resources, please check out our website, wpbiblefellowship.org. Have a great week.